Hi, my name's Andy Chamberlain. I'm a writer and creative writing tutor, and you are listening to the Creative Writers Toolbelt, the podcast that gives you practical, accessible advice that you can apply straight away to your own writing. And welcome to episode 105 of the Creative Writers Toolbelt. As some of you will know, I've just recently published a book called the Creative Writers Toolbelt Handbook. And this book takes all of the very best advice and insight from my own research, as well as dozens of professional writers, editors and artists who have been guests on the first 100 episodes of the podcast. And I want to say a big thank you to those of you that have bought that book. Now, those of you that are considering buying it, if you want to do a little bit of try before you buy, you can go to my website, the resources section. So that's andrewjchamberlain.com. Click on resources. You can get the first chapter for free as a PDF there. Or you can drop me an email and I'll send you the Creative Writers Toolbelt Handbook in 60 seconds, which is a really, really cut down version of each of the eight chapters in the book. So the other thing I'm doing, again, some of you will know this, I'm gearing up for a conference in London and this is a writer's jumpstart and it's going to be on Saturday the 11th of November. I'm hosting that conference with the writer and speaker Wendy H. Jones and this is going to be a conference for every writer who needs some energy and ideas both for the craft of writing and for marketing themselves and their work. We're going to cover a wide range of stuff on that day, including storytelling and characterization, setting and world building and genre. We're going to look at some non-fiction work, and also we're going to be looking at practical advice that we can give you for marketing your work and yourself. Now, I can tell you the standard price for this conference is going to be just £75, including lunch and refreshments. But as Creative Writers Toolbelt listeners, you guys get a better deal than that. You are entitled to a 10% discount on the full price. So all you need to do if you go to the booking form and just put in the discount code, which is E2WTEN. That's the letter E, number two, and then the letters WTEN. And you can find out more about the conference at my website, andrewjchamberlain.com, and also at our conference website, which is equippedtowrite.co.uk. That's the Writers Jumpstart Conference, Saturday the 11th of November 2017 at the Union Jack Club in Sandal Street in London. And I look forward to seeing some of you there. And, you know, if you've got a question about either the book that I've talked about or the conference, just drop me an email. It's andrew at andrewjchamberlain.com. I'm always really pleased to hear from listeners. If you've got questions for me or you want to tell me what writing projects you're working on, just drop me an email. So my guest for this episode is the award-winning musician, producer and author Jeff Leisowitz. Jeff is a critically acclaimed author and an internationally distributed filmmaker who has devoted his whole life to all kinds of different creative pursuits. He's released five studio albums and he's now a life coach and an NLP, that's Neuro Linguistic Repatterning Practitioner. Jeff has just released a book with the wonderfully out outrageous title not effing around the no bullshit guide to getting your creative dreams off the ground and at the end of october jeff will be running several series of interactive online workshops based on this book including one series specifically for writers screenwriters and storytellers which will help you uncover the powerful dramas in your own personal stories you can tap into truth purpose and your own innate desire to express heal and be known so that you'll be able to recover lost parts of your storytelling heart If you're interested in finding out more about Jeff and his work or enrolling for one of his workshops, just go to his website. That's jefflisowitz.com. I'll spell that for you. J-E-F-F-L-E-I-S-A-W-I-T-Z.com. So in my conversation with Jeff, I talked to him about his book and what it is to have a healthy and outward looking creative mindset, how and why we should step out of our comfort zones and explore our creative potential and why the difficult course of action is often the right one for a creative. I had a great conversation with Jeff. Here it is. I hope you enjoy it. Jeff, welcome to the Creative Writers Toolbelt podcast. Hey, thanks for having me here. So I want to start with just having you talk to us a little bit about yourself, where you were raised, your career to date. Some of the things that, that you've done. Sure. So uh, I grew up in Pennsylvania on the east coast of the USA, and uh, now I'm currently in uh, Seattle on the west coast. I was always a creative kid. I was one of these guys who, you know, would go out into the backyard and just like make up worlds of, you know, play <laughs> things and stuff like that, rockets and all that kind of stuff, as, as a lot of kids do. But I guess I didn't quite realize as a kid that it was a little bit more than that. Like I had a really sort of rich internal world. And I think as I grew older, that started expressing itself in different sort of art forms. 
which included uh, one of the early ones was photography. My grandfather was a photographer and he gave me for about maybe my eighth birthday or something, a little camera, plastic camera. And it was a real camera, but it was like a kid's version. It wasn't disposable. They didn't have those back then, Mm. but it shot real film. And I learned how to develop film and then make prints in a dark room. And if you've ever done this, you know, black and white photography, it is an absolutely magical experience because here's this image that appears on a piece of paper. It's like a freaking miracle. So I got, I got way into photography as a, as a little kid. And then as I got older, I turned on to the rock music. And when I was maybe a teenager, you know, 14 or something, I was sort of getting ready to walk down the dark path. <laughs> of, uh, you know, getting into trouble and stuff like that. And, you know, my mom was like, you got to get a hobby. And I'm like, okay, well, I want to play music. I want to play guitar. Mm. So at first, they got me this piece of crap acoustic guitar and this old guy who was trying to teach me. <laughs> and it just was not happening. So I quit. And a couple years later, so this this part was probably in my teens, mid-teens, 15 years old, mm. probably. You know, mm. my mom's like, you got to get a hobby. You got to do something. I'm like, okay. I want to play guitar, except I need an electric guitar and I get to pick my own teacher. And they're like, yeah. okay. So they got me a piece of crap electric guitar and I found this, this long haired guitar player dude. And I just went in there and I'm like, I don't want to read this off the paper. I just want to rock. <laughs> and this guy <laughs> just taught me how to play the guitar songs of the day, which was stuff like Bowie and Def Leppard. And, you know, I was kind of into metal. So like, uh, what was that? Quiet Riot and some Rush yeah, and Tom Petty. And, you know, just like, you know, just great yeah. songs. So from there, I kind of got like really turned on to music and a year or two later declared to my parents, hey, I'm going to be a rock star. Uh, that was not what they were <laughs> looking for when they got me, a, you know, tried to get me to a hobby. So anyway, you know, I got in all these bands and recorded. I've been a music journalist, a producer. I won an award, Best Independent Electronic Artist in the World in Ooh. 2000. So that was a big deal. I was hoping that would take me into the top top tier of the music biz. It did not, but it certainly didn't hurt. I also got lots of uh, got into music for film and TV, so I had thousands of placements there. So that's kind of part of my music career. I now teach songwriting, actually, at a uh, college here in Seattle. Um, as far as writing goes, I've been a writer my whole life. Poetry, stories, and screenplays, mostly, as well as blog posts and all that kind of stuff. Um, and music journalism. I was into that. So, yeah, I've written a bunch of screenplays, studied that pretty extensively, and made a film, a short film, which ended up getting internationally distributed. It's called Mystic Coffee. So that's out there. You can find that somewhere if you look for it, I suspect. So it's been all kinds of creative stuff between the photography, the filmmaking, the writing, the music. I've just been around the block quite a bit. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And so you have recently released a book with the very memorable title, Not Effing Around. And one of the premises of your book is that we're all here for a purpose. And there's a very wide range of perceptions amongst different people about what purpose means. So how would you suggest purpose expresses itself for an artist or a musician or a writer? Well, you know, purpose on one hand is whatever you decide it is. Like that's part of the beauty and trouble of being human, I suspect, right? Your purpose can be anything from making a ton of money to, you know, being a great mom, to being the best author you can be, to having as much fun and screwing around and see what you can get away with. I mean, there's a million things that you can place meaning on in your life. And of course, how you do that affects the decisions you make in life. And then, of course, affects your actions and then affects what your life becomes. And and questioning that for yourself, I think, is just a huge piece in and of itself. But we're talking here specifically about writers and artists. What is the purpose of a writer and artist? So I believe that, you know, the core piece of being an artist of any kind, and we'll just talk about writers here, is to perceive the world in whatever way that you do, to understand it in whatever way you do, and then to express it, right? And creators take what they've experienced and write it down or paint it or dance it or make a film about it, or make a song about it, or whatever your thing is, sculpture, right? All these different things. So I believe, for me, the purpose of a creator is to take your skills and then create something 
that both heals you in some way and connects to some kind of audience. And, and you know what? Even the audience part is negotiable, right? Because, hey, it's great to have a song that a million people hear or a book, right? But it's also great to simply write a poem that helps you express yourself, that gets your thoughts and feelings out of your head, out of your heart, and onto the paper. I mean, I suspect you've had thoughts and, and, and experiences like that, Andy, yeah? Yeah, abs- yeah, absolutely. I have. I, I kind of agree with your premise about what what it means to have purpose as a creative person. And one of the other things that I found myself really strongly agreeing with was a comment you made in your book about how very often it can seem to us creatives as if the world and the circumstances we're in are against us. So our circumstances are trying to stop us being be creative or trying to stop us to explore and, and develop that side of our lives now given all of your experience with different spheres of creativity how would would you advise creative people to kind of develop the resilience they need to stick at it and achieve this purpose? yeah it's a good question because we all are very busy it's a it's a crazy world and there's you know, like infinite distractions between your phone and your internet and everything else um, it's, it, and, you know, your job and, you know, who knows what else you got going, right? So I believe that, you know, except for probably the most absolutely extreme cases out there, everyone actually does have some time. That doesn't mean we prioritize it. It doesn't mean we use it well. It doesn't mean <laughs> we, you know, do things with it. But if you can identify this and prioritize it, you can make change. So, I used to know this woman and she was a mom of three kids and had a full-time job. Okay. And she wanted to be a novelist. So she would attempt to write here and there, but it just wasn't happening for years. It was not happening. And she got sick of it. And one day she said, you know what? This is important to me. My family is important to my job, but this is important to me too. So instead of trying to do this at nine 30 at night, when the kids are in bed and I can barely breathe, right, because I'm so tired, I'm just going to wake up a little bit early, you know, half an hour early, get ready, and for 15 minutes I'm going to write five days a week. And guess what? She did it. Two years later, her novel was done. <laughs> right? So <laughs> sort of what I'm suggesting is, yeah, we're all pressed for time in different ways, but how can we prioritize this? You know, you can you can write instead of watching TV or Netflix or whatever, you can you can schedule it into your schedule that says Saturday morning, I'm taking two hours and I'm just doing it right here. And that'll add up. So it, it sounds as if you, you're kind of advocating things like sort of a bit of discipline and persistence yeah. and routine to kind of keep give you the momentum maybe well, just and, to keep and going. And goals too. So I talk in my workshops and stuff about how to create goals that are actually going to work. So one of them, uh, one piece of it is it has to be objective, right? You can't say, I'm going to write more, right? That's not, that's not measurable. If you say, I'm going to write for two hours a week or for a half an hour, five days a week, or, you know, all day Sunday, that's measurable. Like you can know if you're doing it. Another piece is what's the timeline? Right. I'm going to write every Sunday, you know, for for three hours for a month, like a simple goal, something like that. Now, now you've got a timeline and you've got an objective measurement for this thing. Then you can have an accountability partner. Right. And that is someone who you can just check in with at the end of perhaps every week and say, hey, guess what? I, I did my writing. I did my thing. And that is very helpful. And again, it is not their problem to contact you. It is your responsibility to contact them and tell them what's up. But but pick a good uh, a good partner because they will they will encourage you just by being there and being waiting for your call. And then another question that I sort of add into this is why? Why are you doing this? Like what does this do for you? And if you don't know why, it's difficult to be motivated in the first place. And I wanted to come on. Actually, I wanted to ask you about that, because another thing which you mentioned as being really important is each of us asking ourselves, what are we doing and why are we doing it? And I just wondered if you could kind of unpack that a little bit for us and explore it a little bit. Well, 
In this world, it seems to me that we are often sort of brainwashed by our family, our peers, our governments, our media, our education system. Those are probably probably the big five, right? They tell us who to be, what to do, you know, why, you know, maybe why you should do it. And perhaps as a writer, if you're, you know, you're like writing or whatever, that's great. But maybe you see like, ooh, I could be a bestseller. You know, I could I could make a fortune doing this. Yeah. Or, you know, my dad was a writer. So he really wants me to be a writer. So maybe I should be a writer. Things like this. There's a lot yeah. of external yeah. pressures that we don't even really know that we have a lot of times because it's in there so deep. But these these forces affect us. So these are external reasons why why people might do something. Uh, like writing. On the other hand, writing for reasons that actually deeply move you gives it a whole new energy and a whole new drive. If you're trying to make money, you're better off to get a job and work hard at somebody who's going to pay you to do whatever you're doing, right? As opposed to being an author, because, you know, it's hard to be an author and the guarantee of making any money is, is not much, right? However, being an author with the drive or, you know, the push to tell your story, to untangle pieces of yourself and your questions about the world and your pain and your joy and your love and your your tragedy and your triumph, right? Fictionalizing that, making it into some kind of narrative, whatever, or poetry or whatever, however you're doing it, it doesn't matter. That's a much different experience in the process so that's another thing. You got your process and your product. The product, if you're external, you know, if you're externally driven, is often in the result, right? That's the product. The product is winning an award, getting all this money, you know, it's all that kind of stuff. And hey, man, I love that stuff too. There's nothing wrong with any of that. Please, I hope to win plenty more awards and get paid tons. <laughs> I got no problem with that, right? Yeah, as I'm not I'm not yeah. dissing on that. But what I am saying is that's the icing on the cake as as a true writer. If you write from this perspective and this, you know, this place of telling your story and helping to heal yourself and heal the world, you know, just trying to understand the questions of this crazy human life, it will be a win right there you will automatically get something of value from your creativity simply by doing it, right? It doesn't matter if you sell 50,000 books. That's great if you do, and I hope you do it. But just writing the book, it will be a massive transformation within yourself. Okay. And just to be clear on this, you're not just talking about like some kind of like nonfiction stuff like memoir or self-help or anything like that. You're talking about the whole range of fiction and genre Absolutely. writing and everything. So, for instance, I'll just give you an example from from my experience. I wrote a screenplay called Panacea's Dream. It is about a shaman and a scientist who co-develop a pill which cures any illness. It absolutely works. They're making a fortune on this thing, except they don't know why it works, but it works. So thematically for me, this story is about the duality between science and spirituality. Right? Obviously, the shaman is the spiritual one and the, you know, the scientist is the uh, you know, scientific one or the skeptic. And, you know, within me, th these are themes that I have been wrestling with my whole life. I, I do have this big sense of spirituality for sure. And on the other hand, like, show me some proof of what's going on. Right. <laughs> right. It's, yeah. it's a big question. Yes. And, you know, people who think about this, you know, with an open mind and heart, I, I think these are big questions. So for me, writing this story and playing out my thoughts and ideas within these characters which of course are parts of me, takes out or, or heals or, or resolves in ways, you know, some of this duality within myself. So I consider that a, a type of healing. Another thing that's beautiful, and I mentioned this briefly, about creativity is once you express yourself and, and, and tap into this deep part of yourself to heal yourself in part through your creativity, through your writing, then you can put that out there to the audience. And again, maybe it's, you know, nobody 
Maybe it's 10 people, maybe it's 10,000 or a million, who knows? But when you do that, what you, you are gifting the world your creativity because these other people out there who resonate with this have similar thoughts, but they do not have the wherewithal skills or whatever to sit there and write a book about it or even write a story or a poem about it. That's why, right, like a song when you hear a really powerful song, you know, we've all heard it, you know, different songs in our lives. Like, we couldn't write that song, but we can understand it. We can feel it. And that's where I believe that creativity is actually like a service, like a gift to the world. We have a kind of unique place. This is something that we can give that, that most of the world really can't. So the rest of the world knows it and sees it and enjoys it and is healed by it, but they can't get there themselves. We take them there yeah, through what and, we can do. And, but that said, I would also say that they could if they tried, <laughs> right? Right. I mean, there's uh, okay. people like us okay. who are drawn to this stuff. We are drawn to creativity in some yeah, way. Sure. And then there are people, let's say, who as adults are not. But if you dial it back and look at these people as children – they are all into creativity because I believe creativity is built in. in. In fact, creativity is not a luxury item. It is actually a, a piece of what we need to be fully expressed as human. Right? It's kind of a big deal. And most people, you know, it's not as big yeah. a deal as breathing or food or, you know, shelter. Right? Those are the ones that get all the press. Yeah. <laughs> yes. But once you get past that, then, yeah, it's time to express your humanity. You know, what, what, who are you? So, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you were kind of alluding a little bit there to creative people being the ones who they're not just able to do that, but they kind of make the effort as well to do that, to, to create, to create something worthwhile. And in your book, you, you say sometimes the better choice takes more effort. Uh, and I wondered if you can give us some, you know, unpack that a little bit and give us maybe a couple of examples from your own life about sure. how that. Has so applied. we want to do the easier thing, whatever it is, because it's easier. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, why would you exert energy? And really, this is biological. You know, this is built into our bodies. Like your body doesn't want to exert energy because, you know, for however long you didn't know if you had energy you know you don't have yeah. food or whatever resources so we biologically are built to like kind of lay around as much as possible <laughs> right. Right. that said like doing that is not, not going to give you your best life right if you always take the easy way out and this is obvious if you take the easy way out you're going to take the easier path right maybe you I don't know what, don't do your homework in high school and then you get bad grades and then you don't, you know, go to the college because you're not really getting into a good one and um, you don't want to pay for it or, you know, whatever, all these things that are, you know, take effort. However, you're going to see a, a vast difference in the quality of life between someone who makes harder, often harder choices, right, than someone who makes easier choices. You track those people for, you know, 20 years and, and see where they're at. It's, I suspect it's going to be very, very different. So knowing when to make a difficult choice and when to make a, an easier choice, you know, it's paramount in, in the path of your life. So a, a couple months ago, I was at a, a screenwriting in Los Angeles at a teaching at a screenwriting pitch fest Right. This is where screenwriters and producers come together and they try to buy and sell these screenplays. OK, great. So not everybody lives in L.A., of course. This thing costs, you know, money to go to. Plus, you got to get a hotel. Plus, you got to get there. So it could cost, you know, maybe a thousand or two dollars to go to this thing if you're in the U.S. and even more if you're overseas. So if you're a screenwriter and your choice is, well, you know, I kind of wanted to take that extra vacation or I could spend that dough on going to L.A. for four days or, five, or a week or whatever to go to this pitch fest and run around town and try to 
sell my screenplay or take classes or network or whatever, the person who's going to take the easier path is, of course, going to take their trip, you know, their vacation, their holiday. The person who might decide to suffer, it's not even suffering, it's just making a different choice where they can put their money into their career that will elevate their chances of successfully making a movie. But, you know, even that, that that's almost a, a career goal type uh, example. You could say the same thing for, do I want to lay around on the beach or do I want to get a, a cabin somewhere and write for a week? You know, I've done that. And I'll tell you what, <laughs> it's an extraordinary experience. Just go out by yourself, get some cabin, make sure they, you know, there's no distractions, maybe not even Internet and a little place to write or coffee shop or something around and say, my job for the next week is to write for eight hours a day. Read, write. Yeah. I guess it's like that ex- the, that example you cited earlier of the lady with mm-hmm. three kids. She took the difficult choice, didn't she, to kind of get up earlier and write her stuff for oh, 15 yeah. minutes a day. And you um, know there were days when she did not want to wake up earlier. Yeah, I bet. I bet <laughs> right? there were, yeah. The days when none yeah. of us want to wake up earlier. Yeah. Well, we can all we can all relate to this, yeah. can't we? I guess. Yeah. Now, one of the other things that that you mentioned that I I want to just explore with you. There's a guy called Jeff Goins. He talks a lot about getting into the right mindset, but thinking of ourselves as writers if we're going to write, for example, and then and then the practice comes from that. And you talk about us imagining our own success. That's the phrase you use. So I wondered if you could tell us a little bit more about what it is for for a writer to imagine their own success and how that would work and what sure. where it goes. So- with that. I'm also a life coach and I've studied and practiced something called NLP, Neuro Linguistic Repatterning, which is a one-on-one counseling uh, modality, which helps people dig into their subconscious to untangle pieces of their identity and perception of the world, which might not be optimal, right, for the goals and the things that they want. It is, it is a huge belief of mine that a majority of how we act in the world is driven by subconscious thoughts, desires, experiences, identities, all that kind of stuff. So in my workshops and also in my book, we do exercises where we get into this kind of meditative state and we look first at, okay, what what do I want to be? How does this want to look or feel in three or five years? We kind of make a mental picture of that. And then from there, we can look and see, well, how did that per, how did, how did I get there? How did I go from here where I'm not writing or doing particularly well with my thing to, geez, in three years, my book is done. It's published and I'm doing, and I'm getting reviews and teaching or whatever, whatever you want to do. If you can get into the state, you'll be able to tap into the deep truth that you already know because you know your life better than anyone. And if you can get into a spot where you can look at this in a little bit different way, you will see the actions that need to be taken to go from your current self to your future self. It's a really powerful exercise. So would you be able to give us a kind of simple example of how that might work? And again, we'll just use a writer as an example. Okay, you know, what's a common pushback is I'm too busy or I'm not good enough, right? I'm not good enough to be a writer. Well, first of all, if you write, you are a writer. And I think that's probably what Jeff Goins is talking about, right? Just by doing it, you become it. (laughs) It's just like literally that simple. Talking about it, no, you're not a writer if you're talking about it. If you write, you become a writer automatically. Okay, so I'm not good enough is is a, a a big block for a lot of people. Well, if you get into this meditative state and you say like, okay, in three years, you know, my desired outcome is I am a good writer. Okay. That's, that's all they're trying to do is be a better writer in this state. You can say like, well, how could I become a better writer? Hmm. Well, some things might be read some books about writing, pay more attention to other novels that you're reading and like take notes on them, understand what those writers are doing. Hmm. Take a class. Well, maybe hang out with my writer friends more. Maybe go to a meetup. Maybe go to a writer's conference. All these things. It's not genius. (laughs) 
know, these are not genius <laughs> solutions that I just gave there, but they are often things that we know, right? We know this, but we just don't have access to them just because our minds are so busy thinking we suck as a writer, right? <laughs> so that, that's where the power so the answer's there. The answer was there all the time, but we just had to reach it or we had to, to, to listen to ourselves almost or connect exactly. with it. Exactly. And way. that's why I believe both as a creative in terms of tapping into your truth to express is extraordinarily important and in using yourself as a resource in the way that we just described so that you can like, oh, yeah, it would be a good idea to go out for coffee with my buddy who's a writer and ask him, ask him how he did it. You know, duh. Right. <laughs> now, one of the other things that you talk about in your book is that you encourage the people who are reading your book to to be brave, to try stuff. And you point out, and I think I agree with you, actually, that we're all sometimes too shy or too too hesitant about trying things out. But how can we get the balance right between being brave and trying something, maybe something new or think of trying something we don't think we're ready for, but not going too far that way and doing right, something really stupid. Right. And, th- and that's a great question because you could go off the rails on either side. Generally, people play it too safe, especially as they get older, right? They, they'd rather take that vacation than spend the money going to LA or on the writing retreat, those kinds of things. So how do you get this balance right? Well, part of it is you have to see where you are in life. You have to take a good objective look. If you're a 20 year old and you want to play in a rock band and you get in this band and they want to tour and you know that you're going to be, you know, there's a pretty good chance you're going to be sleeping on the floor and, you know, kind of eating a lot of fast food and all that kind of stuff. That may be something that you're willing to do at age 20. If you're age 45 with a husband and two kids, that's probably not the best choice, right? So that's one way to look at it. But I would suggest looking in terms of our comfort zone, right? So the term comfort zone to me means like, well, you know, I feel okay within this space of action or thought even, right? I'm comfortable here. I believe it. I'm, I'm good here. Okay, great. However, if you stay in your comfort zone, you will never expand. So what I would suggest is taking a step or two out of that comfort zone, not 40 miles, just a couple steps where you're getting nervous, where it's you're on your edge, where you're sweating a little bit and whatever this thing is that we're talking about. But here's the thing. Once you step out of your comfort zone and stay out for you know some time, the comfort zone expands to you which means you as a human just got bigger. And that is huge because if you never step out of that comfort zone, you live this small life and that's boring and you don't go anywhere, you know, as a human or as a creative, right? If you're too scared to put that short story out on the internet, well, guess what? That short story is never going out there on the internet and you never get anywhere. If you do it, hey, maybe you get some, some positive feedback, maybe you don't. But either way, you've expanded yourself and i i consider that a huge you know a huge deal yeah 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 so a, a, a slightly different aspect of that which is i guess I'm, I'm addressing the people who might be nervous uh with with this question is um that one of the things you talk about in your book is as well is um that we should failing's okay and we should fail quickly and learn from the process uh which which i think is actually you know it's good advice but failure hurts. You know, failure is painful. So how do we learn how to fail quickly and learn? And how do we also get ourselves into a frame of mind where that failure doesn't hurt us so much that we decide to just scuttle back into our comfort zone and we'll never get right. out of it? It's a great, a great question, Andy. Thanks. So failure, failure does hurt. Right. And when things hurt, again, this is basic humans. You know, we don't want it. We want pleasure. <laughs> we do not want pain, right? That's yeah. Just, that's just how we are. However, if we reframe the word failure, it will change everything. So failure generally to people means I screwed it up. I lost. I Something got destroyed. You know, it's something very negative. But I would say that failure is actually 
feedback. So instead of taking it personally, which of course many, many, many people do, and that's a terrible idea, right? It is just, I'm doing something, whatever it is, and it fails. But this time it has given me feedback. Maybe it's, ooh, I shouldn't have done my book cover like that, <laughs> right? Or <laughs> maybe I shouldn't have named this character something with 40 syllables, you know? Whatever yeah. the thing is, it's not it's not a fail. It's it's your learning. If you can learn from your failures, you will eventually succeed. And I have interviewed zillions of creative types and su successful ones, and they will all 100 percent of them will tell you some version of this answer, which is you must fail to get anywhere. And if you don't, it means you're not doing anything because we all fail, right? You can't possibly be perfect in everything that you do in life and in creativity. So take that sting and, and just like change it in your brain. That sting is actually, ooh, thank you. I'm not gonna do that again. Give me my next mistake. Give me my next failure so I can amp it up even more and even more. And even more. And sooner or later, if you keep going down that path, something good is going to happen. You're going to get the the uh, desired result in whatever you're thinking or talking about. It, but it does sound there as if you're. It's like you're not taking failure personally. It's like a, you, yes. you've taken a, a particular mental attitude or a particular mindset to failure, which is which which d detaches the emotional content of it so how is that how it works or how, i mean what, that, what do you that do is. with that so in nlp the um psychology stuff i was telling you about before we believe that you really only have three points of power in your life and this is huge like if you understand this your life will change dramatically and that is the action you take in the world the reaction you have to the world and your perception of the world you can influence all kinds of other things, but those are your only actual points of power, okay, that you control. So with this whole fail fast business, if you perceive failure as a personal, you know, um, failure, <laughs> a person, I don't even know what other word, as, a, as you take it internally and, and pull it into you, that will take you down. It will. And it's taken down, you know, so many people, I would even say most creatives sooner or later. However, if you change your perspective, which you can, because now you know this idea, you can say like, oh, failure isn't about me. It's about something that I did. It's not me. It's something I did. So that's the difference between identity. That's me. I'm a failure. And I failed which is I did some action and I failed. If you put it back into you, you're in trouble. However, if you reposition your perspective into, you know, I did something and I failed. Okay, fine. What can I learn about it? That is a huge gift. And it's it, what's interesting about creatives compared to everybody else is that because this stuff does come from such a personal place, our books and our songs, we are much, we, we, we get this idea that the, the song is us, right? Or the book or the story is us. And that's not true. It's something that we did. Creatives have a difficult time doing that. So it's a really big idea that I, I hope your listeners get and, and stick in their heads and hearts. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's an idea that certainly I've, I've heard it expressed in slightly different ways in the past but i think it's it's like all truths it's good to hear it again and it's good to hear it expressed in a slightly different way i think you're right it's really important that people don't internalize failure or internalize the criticism that i think that is the way to learn and move on and i want to talk a little bit about um an aspect of the creative process because one of the things that you say is that creative people accept a situation and then they add value to it that's that seems to be one of the processes that you advocate that we we accept what is before us 
and then we add some value to it in the situation we're in. So I wondered if you could tell us a little bit about sure. how that works. And- what struck me so much about this idea is that it's absolutely true in our lives in general. So oftentimes, first of all, people just simply don't accept the reality that they are in, right? They just want to fight it. They want to fight it instead of embracing it or at least acknowledging it. Once you do that, then you can figure out, well, how can I make this better? Whatever the, whatever the situation is. Let's say you get booked as the first band at a club and there's going to be, you know, 10 bands. So you start it, at, you know, at noon which is not the time when a lot of people go to see music, okay? So this is a lousy spot for you to play. It'd be much better to play at 10 o'clock p.m. when place is going to be packed. Okay, so accept that reality is the first thing you better do, you know, as, as a band playing at that time. The second thing is, well, what could we do to get more people in the door? Well, perhaps they could make up T-shirts and get their friends on the street and start dancing to their songs at at noon, you know, hustle people into the room from there. Or perhaps they could bake uh, little cupcakes and put the band name on it and give them to people as they walk by and see if they want to come in. You know, like adding some kind of value to their situation is going to change it tremendously. If they don't do that, what's going to happen? They're going to play their 12 o'clock, you know, their noon slot and nobody's going to be there. And then done. So it's accepting what's in front of you that you can't change, but doing what you can do to, to change the stuff. That's exactly, your, which your goes back to uh, the three um, PowerPoints we talked about. The action that you have in the world is one of your one of your points. In this situation, you don't have the power to change your time slot because you didn't book the gig. I mean, somebody else gave you the gave you the job, right? So that's what you got. You can't control that. What you can control is moving around that. You know, another example I guess I have in in terms of that is. Uh, you know, in your in a job, right? A lot of people are like, I'm not getting a raise. My boss is never giving me a raise. You know, I don't get a raise. Okay, so that's out of your power. What your boss is gonna do, right? What's in your power? Working harder, learning more skills, staying late, all that kind of stuff, right? Do that, and guess what's gonna happen? You're gonna get a raise. <laughs> Right? Yeah, it's just the way yes. it works. But so many people in this world give their power away. They just give it away and give it away and give it away. And then they take the easy path and then they wonder why why their life hasn't you know turned out the way they want. So I really recommend people dig into these questions and, and think about them for themselves. Sure. OK. And another thing which really intrigued me, you were talking about the decisions that people make. And you said that nearly every decision that we make comes out of either fear or love. Uh, and that, was, that was, I thought was really fascinating. And I wondered if you could explain what you mean by that a little bit, and especially what you mean by love mm-hmm. in this context. So fear and love, you could almost think of as, you know, porting over into some other words like expansion and constriction. Okay, Fear being the constricted, love being the expanded. So let's let's go back to the example of the of the comfort zone, right? Staying in the comfort zone when an opportunity arises to step out of the comfort zone, and even when it doesn't, is essentially some level of fear, right? It's scary out there. It's scary to put my book out. It's scary to go to the to go to a reading. It's scary to like who knows what what you're scared of. On the other hand, stepping forward and expanding is in a sense, I would say, love. You engage with the world, you give to the world, you help someone else simply by creating, right? I mean, it depends what our what our stories are here that we're talking about, but if we let fear rule our lives, it will keep us back. And if we allow ourselves to love, we can tap into much more. I mean, let's just take hanging out at a, let's say, a writing conference. The fearful person is going to stand in the corner during the cocktail party, right? The person who has love and radiates connection is going to be like, hey, what's going on? You know, meeting people and sharing what they have to give to them and almost certainly getting something in return. You can change this into really any story. You, you could almost say the same thing with, you know, with our example of the, the screenwriting, um, the script fest. It's fearful, not exactly to take the vacation, but to not go into a place where you can get shot down 
right? I mean, it's scary to talk to a bunch of producers and have them not be interested. But that's still fear-based moving forward. If you are open and you have the love of the possibility of your future, well, then you're going to go to L.A. and you're going to do that. And you're going to put out and just see what happens, right? And something is going to happen. It always does. Okay. I can imagine some of my writing friends having a little bit of an issue with this in insofar as a lot of writers, I'd say most writers, are introverts. So that kind of very outward-looking, outgoing expression of love, I think is hard for them because they, they can kind of equate that to being an extrovert, which they're not. So what do, what do you see as the difference between being an extrovert and being confident in that expression of love, that creative love that you are. Well, there are certainly different kinds of people with extroverts and introverts and stuff like that. But again, if you define yourself as an introvert, and that means to you that I'm not capable or willing to go network with someone, to meet someone, to step out, to even go to a class, I would say that you have created somewhere in your mind a, a comfort zone that says, I've defined myself as someone who is not willing to step out. Okay, I I'm actually quite an introvert. I like people and I am sometimes extroverted. But man, it takes a lot of energy sometimes to, to gear up and step out, believe me. So I would suggest to your friends to think about that a little bit, ask questions a little bit deeper. Because, it, you know, if they're saying like, oh, nobody's reading my stuff, nobody's giving me opportunities to read at the bookstores or whatever, well, are you going out and making contact with them with, with an open heart? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Are you, are you just yeah. stepping out? Yeah. Or are you just sitting there writing emails and being bitter? Because that sounds, to me, like fear. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Now, so your book, as we said, is called Not Effing Around. Um, although towards the end of it, you do advocate kind of, I suppose, just so we can have a little bit of time out, that we all do do, do a little bit of effing around, uh, whatever that means for us. So uh, what do you do to kind of eff around, to, to take it easy, to sort of Yeah, have, so, have I mean, break? it's really important, especially for people who are almost overachievers, right, to remember that it's okay and, in fact, healthy and good to dial it back and get some F.A. in there, right? And this can, yeah, yeah, yeah. This can mean many things to many people. Um, so, you know, for me, this is meditating, this is exercising, this is visiting friends, going to movies, reading books, playing guitar, writing poems with no intention of publishing them or anything like that. It really can be anything. I mean, it's, it's who you are and what you want to do. But the point is that, and actually studies have shown this in creativity specifically, that if you take your mind off your task, it will actually loosen up your subconscious and give you different and more creative solutions. Mm. So, yeah. Mm. Interesting. Pretty huge. Yeah. So a little bit of effing around oh, is yeah. good for everybody. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's 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 the <laughs> it's the work life balance. You just want to make sure you get some deep yeah. breaths in there, and and it really it powers you up. You know, it's just obvious when you rest, it powers you up for when you work or focus. Yes. Okay. Now, if you wanted to give just one piece of advice uh, to writers, let's say writers, I know you, you're you're. I think what you're saying applies to all creative people, but specifically to writers. What would the one piece of My advice be? My one piece of advice would be uh, so simple that a major sneaker company has been using it for decades, and it's just do it, right? <laughs> it's, uh, I mean, yeah. it's literally that simple. You know, a lot of times I think we wait for inspiration to do yes. creative stuff. But guess what? Here's the trick. If you actually just start doing something, you will soon enough become inspired. If you just start writing, you know, within yeah. 5, 10, 20 minutes, you're going to have an idea for a story or a poem or whatever. Right? So don't wait for the inspiration. Just start. Just make something. Do something. Create something. Mm. Yeah. Okay. So just do it. Yeah. As somebody says. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. 
Now, Jeff, we've, we've talked a little bit about your book, but that's just one of the many things that you get up to. Can you tell us a little bit about how people can find out more about you, check out that book? find Yeah, out absolutely. Um, the best way is my website, jefflizowitz.com. There's only one of those on planet Earth at the moment. <laughs> So if you spell it slightly off, Google will help you get there, I, I hope. Um, yeah, I've got the books on there, all kinds of interviews with other creatives, tons of blog posts. And the big thing that I'm just starting um, very soon is online creativity workshops. So all these kinds of ideas, yeah, that we've been talking about, we go deep. It's interactive, so it's not boring. You know, you're actually doing stuff and we're talking, things like that. I've got three of them coming up. One is not effing around for everyone, meaning all kinds of creatives. Another one is for songwriters and musicians. And the other one is for storytellers and screenwriters. So that's probably a lot, okay. of, your, a lot of your crowd. Yeah. The first round yeah. of these, the first classes start in about two weeks. So I don't know if okay. we're going to have this podcast out by then, but I'm going to be starting them again in January. So if you miss, if you miss okay. these ones here, just come and get on my mailing list is really the biggest thing to keep in touch. Sure. Get on the mailing list. You'll hear all about it, um, as well as all this other content and, you know, Jeff's brain spewing various, <laughs> various things. <laughs> Uh, hey, it's what I do. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, that's that's the best way to get in touch. OK, sounds great. Is there anything else you wanted to say? Well, to I just want to reiterate one point, which is creativity at its core really is not a luxury item. It is something that for people who feel this yeah. call and really for everyone is a huge part and a tool that helps us to be seen, to be expressed and to be healed. And that is a tremendous gift for ourselves. And when we do that with authenticity and vulnerability, it is a gift to humanity. It's a gift to the world. Not everybody's going to write the story that you can write, but they can understand it. It really is a huge deal to have the courage to be an author, a writer, a creator of any type. Because it is, hey man, it is a tough road. I know it. <laughs> Believe me, I know it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But it, it has value. And then the biggest value, honestly, is in healing ourselves. So I recommend having yeah. the courage and the momentum and the push to just do it at whatever level. I'm not saying go to New York and join a Broadway show. I'm saying spend five minutes a day writing, <laughs> you know, yeah. if that's where you're at. Yeah. Yeah. We just have yeah. a go and just do yeah. it, I guess. Yeah. Cool. Okay, then, Jeff. Well, it's been great to talk to you, and thank, thank you, you very much for your time. Thanks very okay. much indeed, Jeff. Catch you later. Okay. Bye-bye. Yeah, thank you. Cheers. Bye-bye.